tuning in to the 464th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, Daryl D. Lane, as always, wherever you are, however you're listening, I thank you for making me and this show part of your day with via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iRadio, SoundCloud, Pandora, whichever podcasting of a platform you may be listening to me via being recorded from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, per the new usual. Going to have a great podcast for you guys today. Going to have Tyler Greenewald, Yahoo Sports Reporter. We talk everything NFL quarterback. And we have a regular, a usual, Kenny Sims, scouting expert for 247 Sports, to talk about the Deshaun Watson situation. Uh, side note, when I have Kenny on, the audio was a little iffy. I apologize for that. I will do better next time. But just so you guys know, for uh, when Kenny comes on, the audio was not the best. Uh, but I still think it's good, and you guys can still hear what we're saying. Now, before we get to that conversation uh, with Kenny, we're going to start with the conversation with Kenny first. I will also say this. Thank you, everybody who's tuning in via WJCU, the John Kerr Radio Station, 6 a.m. in the morning. But I'm going to give my shameless plug right now. First time listener, thank you, but subscribe and follow right now. Also, share this podcast with your friends and family, whether via Reddit threads, Facebook groups, etc., etc. Check on the description below. Specifically, if you use Spotify, I have everything timestamped. You can click on the timestamp, and we'll send you to whichever part of the podcast you would most like to listen to, folks. It is for your convenience. Follow me on Twitter at NightTrain underscore Lane. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. Just type in Daryl Lane and you will find it. I post two five-minute clips of this podcast right here, as well as my syndicate show Outside the Shop, and I am debuting my own top 40 quarterback rankings. Quarterback 40 to all the way to number one, so stay tuned. Stay hip to that. That's on the YouTube channel. Again, Daryl Lane. And lastly, if you have Apple or iTunes, give me five stars and a great review. For some odd reason, when I go out the pod, then don't say anything because you know what your mama told you. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. And now I'm going to do one of my monologues that Kenny himself loves so very much. So it was Tom Brady's birthday yesterday, uh, August 3rd. And it really got me thinking. Uh, Happy 45th birthday to Tom Brady. By the way, it's a major milestone for him in his career. That was the age he originally set out to play to, right? When he was in New England, he said, I want to play till 45. Uh, And it looks like Tom Brady will be retiring after this season. And it's bittersweet for me because Brady holds a special yet weird place in my heart, right? I'm a Bills fan from Buffalo, New York, born and raised, Amherst to be specific. And he's killed my team in division for years. He's 33-3 versus the Buffalo Bills. He's literally tortured us. As the New England Patriots have been up top and the Bills have been at the bottom. So I've kind of lived with this. But you eventually kind of learn how to respect him because at the end of the day, something I respect him as somebody who was an athlete, was a college athlete, I respect greatness. I respect people who do what they do at a high level because I wasn't able to do it at a high level and going to college and you realize people who are really good at the D3 level who are like all Americans and then what it means to be a division one All-American, then what it means to be a semi-professional, then what it means to be a professional. You kind of understand it better, right? And you have so much respect. Seven Super Bowls, three league MVPs. Some of the most memorable Brady moments I have is in 2017 Super Bowl Atlanta versus New England. You guys remember 28-3. to 3. I was in my dorm room, freshman year of college. 
Brady came back and it kind of solidified himself as the GOAT with his fifth Super Bowl ring. He'd go on after to win two more. Being a wrestler in college, playing football in high school, uh, two very tough sports that are very physically demanding and that take a lot of hard work to get good at. So I'm biased. I love hard work. I love people who embrace the grind. I love people who are willing to sacrifice. Let's look at Brady at Michigan. He wasn't even a full-time starter. Sixth-round draft pick. He goes to New England. He was the backup. Second year, got his chance. And he was ready. And there's a saying in sports I love. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. When you're the backup QB, your job is to get the starter ready. When you're the backup QB, your number's called, and you perform well, that's being ready at all times. And a lot of people in sports and in life miss their opportunities because when that phone rings, when their number's called, they're not actually ready to step up to the plate and show how great they really are. Brady was. Doing the Patriots won a Super Bowl, and a legend was born. The evolution that Brady had from backup to game manager to MVP to then legend. Backup his first year in New England. Game manager for the first three Super Bowls in New England. MVP when they get Randy Moss and break records. All the way to coming back 28-3 against the Atlanta Falcons in the Super Bowl and officially becoming a legend. A sports icon. To be put in the same breath as guys like Wayne Gretzky, Bill Russell, Michael Jordan, Babe Ruth, Muhammad Ali, Floyd Mayweather, Ronaldo, Messi, Pele. Literally the greats of the greats. All from a kid who was a six-round draft pick and wasn't even a full-time starter in college. The commitment to excellence, getting better at football. To start at being a backup in college, to being the greatest ever, takes a lot of hard work. And I know it's funny when we talk about TB12 being pliable, but it takes a lot of hard work. It takes a lot of sacrifice. The fact that this man won't even drink a beer. Mentally, sometimes it's the mind, the commitment. And that's something that I've always loved about Tom Brady. A lot of people want to be great, but very few are willing to pay the price it takes to be truly great. Somebody like Kobe Bryant was willing to pay the price. Tom Brady's willing to pay the price. That's why he does all this weird stuff with Alex Guerrero and TB12. That's why he won't drink a beer. That's why every second he can win a Super Bowl. And you know what he thinks? How can I get another one? Somebody asked me, what does Brady have left to prove? He's already won. He's already considered the GOAT. But that's not how he thinks. And people who wonder why Brady still plays, they don't really understand it either. He plays because it's about the process. Once I get another championship, the next goal is, how do I get another? How do I keep adding and adding till it gets to this logical conclusion and there is no more? I'm going to run on the treadmill till I physically can't run anymore. Or I decide in Brady's case, I had a goal that I want to get to and I got to it. Right? Or my wife told me, hey, get your get your butt off the treadmill and Giselle. But a lot of people, they have a really a set destination. Once they reach a milestone, three miles, I get off the treadmill. 
Bray decided to keep going. He plays because it's not only for the rings, it's not only for the passion, but he's trying to see how good he can actually be, how far he can actually go, which is something a lot of athletes and a lot of people can only dream to be in that cycle of competitiveness. He loves to compete and he literally wants to see how far he can go. That's what I love about Tom Brady. In sports, as a sports fan, I started watching football, NFL football in 2010 and now it's 2022. I was like in fourth, fifth grade back then. Now, two years out of college. Brady's been in my sports life. And when he's gone, I'm really going to miss him. And I'm really going to appreciate him. And I'm super happy he can't torment my Buffalo Bills anymore. Now, kind of next out of the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to have Kenny Simon to talk about all the nuggets and bolts that's going on with Deshaun Watson right now. Cut him next out of the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have Kenny Sims, scouting expert, returns to 47 Sports, to break down everything Deshaun Watson, Sue Robinson, and Cleveland Browns. How you doing, Kenny? Doing good, man. Football is in the air when August 1st So the first thing I gotta ask is this. Just capsulize uh Capture a picture for us of this whole Deshaun Watson situation, right? Sue Robinson came down with the ruling. Six games. A lot of people, social media, media, just the common NFL fan, they think there needs to be more. So just kind of uh, capture a picture of us for what is really going on. Because I think not everybody understands the legality and everything that's going on in this situation. Yeah, so there's, you know, following this for several years, specifically then when Sean Watson came to the Browns and, uh, you know, over the summer, there was NFL investigated, talked to Sean Watson, talked to 12 of the 24 women that wanted civil suits, 12 was the number. Then they had hearings July 28th, or June 28th to 30th, NFL had their representation they wanted an indefinite suspension, had to reapply to get back in the NFL for Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson was represented by an army of lawyers, Rusty Harden, about the facts of the discipline. He was also represented by the NFLPA powerhouse attorney, Jeffrey Kessler, who has typically taken the NFL school in litigation and so they argued no games and so hearings concluded arbitrator independent discipline officer Sue Robinson really wanted both sides to settle because then it does not allow for appeal she kind of waited and waited and waited for two or for about three four weeks they could not come to an agreement NFL backed off their indefinite suspension. 
Um, they wanted a 12-game suspension and an $8 million fine. Deshaun Watson, they wanted to settle thought about six to eight-game range. They could not come to agreement. Deshaun Watson's side said they take their chances with the judge. Judge Sue Robinson said six-game suspension. And also, NFL presented five, five now of the 12 women, five cases in their hearing. Sue Robinson threw one of them out. And so really what the hearings and the discipline took place was it was on four cases, not 24. So more manageable number. And then yesterday, you know, came down. She decided ultimately a six-game suspension. Do you think six games was the right amount? Because I know a lot of people were upset at six games when they first hear six games. Uh, people were upset, and I, and I get it because, you know, right, sexual assault, this is a very uncomfortable situation. Do you, so do you think six games was actually a fair uh, and just amount? Yeah, six games I thought was valid. I uh, had that from the start, around six to eight games, considering uh, going off some of the, you know, previous cases, you take a look at, take a look at even going back to 2006. You take a look at Chris Henry, six six games, four games, eight games. Uh, Greg Hardy, four games. Adrian Peterson, I believe he ended up getting uh, four games. It was a year, four games. Uh, the two that are important, I think that are the closest resemblance to the president was Big Ben got six in 2010. It was appealed down to four. Zeke Elliott did not have criminal civil charges. There was some alleged violence. He ended up getting six as well. Uh, you know, Josh Brown, the kicker, got one game. So a lot of this discipline comes from about the six to eight game range. It just, a year just does not happen with these situations. Kareem Hunt got eight games. So I thought around there, I thought six was a valid number. Uh, strictly going off a similar case with Ezekiel Elliott and Ben Roethlisberger. It was also, uh, this was a, 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 an important point during the hearings that's now been reported and sourced from, you know, CBS, Yahoo, Pro Football Talkers. The NFL never, never argued that there was any violence. And so that is typically, you know, six, eight suspension. So actually Sue Robinson said this was the, uh, non-violent assault, six games was the most ever that the NFL imposed on Sean Watson. There was some violence, you know, maybe there would have been you know, six uh, eight games or more. So, you know, going off what was presented, going off Big Ben and Zeke Elliott, six was the right number, and then you also got to play into the facts, some of the some of the behind the scenes you know, strategy each side would deploy. So if he got 10 games or a year, the NFL Players Association would appeal with Jeffrey Kessler. They would appeal, and in the appeal, they would say that this policy said owners are held to a very high standard, higher than players. It says that in the CBA. And they would bring up the fact that Jerry Jones, Jim Irsay, Robert Kraft, Daniel Snyder either got minimal discipline 
and in most of these cases, like Robert Kraft and uh, Robert Kraft and Jerry Jones, they got no discipline. So how can you say that this is for you know owners and players and coaches? Everyone involved is held to a very high standard. Owners more so than everyone. And if they're not getting any games, why should Deshaun Watson get any games? So the enforcement of the policy is something that I think was a very strong case that the NFL Players Association had and a case where, you know, I don't know if they wanted to go to court over that and really bring out some of the dirty laundry of the owners. Um, And that was a tactic that the players used, and I think there's a lot of credibility to that. So the enforcement of the policy, you know, is not, uh, does not happen with all people involved in the NFL that that personal conduct policy is based on. It's based on everyone involved in the NFL. So my question to you would be this, right? You mentioned the Ezekiel Elliott and um, the situation with Ezekiel Elliott, right? Uh, That was, though, only a few uh, claims of, right, violence. This is, like, 20-plus. So is there any kind of gray area with that is, though, while they're both women making accusations to said player that there's multiple, uh, more multiple uh, potential women who are complaining about said issue, right? Yeah, so the, yeah, so it was 24 civil suits, but also remember the NFL presented only four women during the hearing. So, so they presented four. Now, why they interviewed 12 or why they ended up bringing four, you know, there's no real, you know, no real hardcore reporting on that. But, but they probably couldn't get all the women to agree to be interviewed, they, right? But they ultimately, but they ultimately had four was what the case at hand dealt with was four. So, you know, I would kind of put that 24 number aside. Um, that what this specific case was between the NFL, Deshaun Watson, and Player Association, that dealt with four cases. Do you think the NFL will end up appealing this decision? So this one, so so this was one of the one of the hold up or one of the things you know to consider under the new CBA is. You know, what's the point of having a third-party arbiter if she does not have final say? So the NFL can appeal. Then it goes back to Roger Goodell or his designee. And Roger Goodell is going back to being the judge and hearing the appeal. It goes back to the way the old CBA was. And, you know, I would lean no because I don't think the benefit is greater than the cost at hand. NFL wanted to get out of this discipline act. I mean, how many times, I mean, I mean we could go through, I mean, just how many times have they botched discipline? And, you know, this is a realm with Roger Goodell. It's not making the NFL revenue. And, you know, they're not, uh, Roger Goodell, they're not law enforcement. They're not the FBI. So, they're dealing with something that they're not totally qualified on, which was the whole point 
of the new CBA is let's have a federal judge, a judge who knows the law, who's qualified to make this decision, and both sides agree to that. So if they do appeal to, it kind of undermines or kind of circumvents the new CBA system. And this is the first time a case has come up like this. So the NFL would essentially be kind of going around the CBA, circumventing it, and it goes right back to Roger Goodell. So, um, you know, that then, then it's in the news. It doesn't benefit anyone to continue this, no stakeholder. It goes in the news again for what? For, you know, moving up from six to probably, I would say, the max eight games. Um, and then, you know, if that happens, there's a chance the players, again, Players Association would then sue the NFL, and it just continues on. I don't think it benefits anyone. Uh, I don't think the flight gate, that whole look, I don't think that benefited anyone at the end of the day. And so, you know, the benefits of that do not outweigh the cost. And so NFL can say they look at it, but they're going to respect the new process that Sue Robinson took place. And it seems like everybody satisfied with her attention, her, her, uh, how serious she took this case, how, you know, it took a while to get an opinion, and so, you know, they could always just fall back on Sue Robinson, and they're going to lean towards that. But the thing that Jerry Jones said too, Daryl, is they wanted, they, the NFL wanted to kind of get out of this whole disciplinary area. It's not their area of expertise. They're not good at it. And they can focus on what they do and putting together an entertainment product and, you know, printing revenue. What entertain me for a second, Kenny, what happens if the let's say get down and they try to up it to seventeen or they do something crazy like that to try to send a message to Sean, NFLPA, they sue, then what happens? Okay, so if they appeal and Roger Goodell says <clears throat> they're going to end up getting their way anyway and go with a full one-year suspension? Yes. So what would happen was the players would then, the, uh, the Players Association would rush the federal court and sue Roger Goodell and the NFL for going, you know, for overstepping his boundaries and authority in the collective bargaining agreement. So then, you know, <clears throat> kind of depends on, you know, a lot of legal stuff that a lot of, a lot of the joint expertise out, like, like where you file it at, you know, the judge you get. Uh, but, but going off a similar case with Tom Brady, remember what happened is that happened. Um, the NFL so, uh, Players Association filed suit against Goodell and Tom Brady got in junction to play where there was the appeal was determining if Roger Goodell had authority to suspend him for a year. So Tom, Tom Brady played through 2015 um, and it ultimately, you know, looping around the courts, it then settled at four-game suspension. So remember, the play gate happened the 2014 season. Tom Brady had a suspension in 2016, so two years later. So I would suspect is they would try to 
said Roger Goodell overstepped his authority. They would look to get an injunction for, J- for Deshaun Watson to play this year because technically there's been no official discipline. And then get it in court and kind of go from there. Do you? Um, so that would so that would be what happens, and we know the NFL's strategy that they would employ, and we know the Players Association and their strategy that they would employ. They would want to kind of bring up, really bring up what happened with some of these owners and what they did and why they didn't get any suspension too. So then it would kind of just be tied up in court. You know, we go from there on whatever happens. Do you think people in the media and fans at large are struggling to understand, like, the legality and what's really going on in this situation? Uh, definitely, definitely. If, if you know, really, stick, really sticking to the legal aspect of that, um, you know, it's, it's common just to read a headline or something and, you know, have you know, 10% of the full information on what happened. And, you know, I thought Mike Flory on Pro Football Talk have covered this pretty well going into some of the aspects of the legal situation and the CBA and what happens with that. Uh, so it is somewhat, you know, you've got to look at it very closely and, you know, understand Sue Robinson just provided a recommendation on games, but Roger Goodell and the NFL could have final authority, but then you have, you know, an appeals process, and, you know, I think, I and I think others think the Players Association and Appeal have a pretty credible argument, too, and so, um, you know, things are kind of going in that regard, but it is, you know, it is complicated, Foul and foul all of the all of the details of it. Um, you know, I know in a in another case, Alvin Kamara had a little bit of a a violent uh, alleged crime where he punched someone, and that was supposed to be heard in August, and now that is postponed until the middle of the season. So, you know, I don't know anything about that, but I'm just going off how you know really got to follow a story start to finish so whether Alvin Kamara plays or what happens with discipline there I don't know anything about but you know it's it's something that you know got to follow full time to try to have a decent idea on what's going on do you think it's a bad look if Deshaun Watson plays during this season uh no You know, 
the view on Mike Vick has kind of turned, and now he's in, you know, he's an analyst now, he's doing things off the field, I think he's involved with either the USFL or XFL, and he's getting painted in a better light. The other one, too, is Tiger Woods, you know. Tiger Woods, a lot of issues in 2011, kind of repaired that over time, and now, you know, now he's, you know, I would say the Q rating on him, you just take a look at a poll, do you like him, yes, no got a pretty strong Q rating right now that he has repaired from being very negative to now I think the Q rating on Tiger Woods if you ask people is generally you know generally positive to very positive so you know it all it's going to pass over time you know you saw the last game on ESPN with Big Ben you know they I mean they threw a coordination for him his last Monday night game Kenny, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. And cut him next of the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. We're going to have Tyler Greenewalt on the show. Talk NFL quarterbacks. Cut him next of the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. The action never ends at DraftKings Sportsbook, especially this summer. With tons of ways to bet on all your favorite sports, you can fuel your fandom and feel the heat of the season like never before. Plus, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new customers a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's right, folks, $1,000. Make your first bet up to $1,000, and if it doesn't win, you'll get another shot to cash in. I know. Great deal, right? You should take it right now. You can throw down on all the major action for baseball, golf, MMA, and more. Plus, with same-game parlay spreads, money lines, over-unders, and props, your betting options feel endless. Best of all, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Great deal. Again. Shit, take it, folks. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TPPN. Make your first deposit and get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's promo code TPPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Despite the fact that he led his high school to four straight state championship game appearances, very few high major recruiters looked at the six foot tall, 180 pounder and said, Quarterback. Throw it on a dime, like I ain't even trying. Just a kid from Briarwoods, I'm wearing number nine. And Coach Franklin down at Vandy, flipped to Happy Valley. Now I'm coming back and got the back with the Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have a very special guest with us, Tyler Greenewald. How you doing, man? Doing well, Daryl. Thanks for having me. So the first thing I want to ask you is this. Kyler Murray, his contract, they they had it in there that apparently if he didn't study for four hours, I guess the contract could be like non-void. The Cardinals ended up getting blowback. They changed, they changed it, which I thought was even crazier. What do you make of that whole situation? I mean, this was a uh... This is a scandal of their own making. Uh, one, having it in the contract. Two, leaking it. And then three, getting rid of it. So this all could have been avoided if they just did sort of a handshake agreement where it's like, hey, Tyler, make sure you study a little more. And the whole thing is interesting because it begs a little bit more as to what the trepidations were with Kyler to begin with. And if there were concerns, why did they give him $161 million guaranteed? So... And then the whole press conference he had yesterday or the day before was just also very bizarre where he was mad that people were making fun of him when it's the Cardinals that were really questioning him the whole time. So, yeah, that was probably so far one of the strangest football-related uh, news pieces of the offseason. 
So my question for you is this, right? Like, so I'm just trying to think about this pragmatically. If the team thought it was that big of a concern that he wasn't doing enough film study outside of the building, and they put that in the contract, right? If they want to protect themselves, I guess that's fine. But then basically then the blowback, and then it's like, ah, nah, you know what, well, we'll just take it out. But to me, that that's crazier. That's the craziest thing about this whole thing. <laughs> yeah, it just, it really doesn't make sense. Like, I, I wonder if it just means that they thought that he wouldn't notice that it was there. Like, it was one of those things where maybe his agent was like, oh, this is no big deal. They just have all, they just ask you to do certain study. And then he signed it. And then Rappaport breaks the news. And suddenly it becomes this bigger deal than maybe he, the team, and, and uh, her agent thought it would be. So, yeah, taking it out, it, it seems, I, I guess, from their point of view, they're trying to get rid of the distraction. And, and then they just created another news cycle for it. So it's, it's one of those things where they're just they're making more trouble for themselves than they really need to. Do you think Kyler's going to finish out his contract with the Cardinals? I mean, I, I think so. It, it'll really depend, obviously, on how that team progresses over the next couple of years. But they gave Kingsbury uh, an extension, um, and obviously, like they have faith enough in Kyler to give him an extension heading into his fourth year. So, I mean, will he finish out the whole contract? before getting a different extension, that all boils down to if he can play MVP. He's proven to play at MVP level. Halfway through the year, he was an MVP candidate, and then he got injured, and that team sort of fell off the tracks down the, down the road. So I, I think he's good enough to, to continue to be the quarterback there, but I wouldn't be surprised if we see a situation as well where things get a little murky later in his career if they don't start winning playoff games because either the team is going to start to question him or he's going to start questioning the team like he already seems to have. So, Lamar, when do you think he's going to get his contract? Honestly, all of the quarterbacks that needed to be signed this offseason have except for Lamar. So there's really no pressure for either him or the Ravens to get a deal done because there's no new baseline that could be set. The baseline is, is effectively Murray making, uh, I think he's making like 40, 40 and a half million a year, which is seconds of Rodgers. Lamar's probably not going to get Rodgers money. He should, in my opinion, get better than Murray money. So if you're the Ravens, you'll probably hold out signing a contract until the last possible moment. And I mean, I could also see a scenario where Lamar doesn't sign a deal and tries to push this thing out for another year. I don't know why you want to do that given his play style. He was injured a little bit last year. I'd want to get a deal done as soon as possible and you have all the numbers that you need to to have a, a good compensation. And Lamar has better accolades than Murray. He has better stats than some of the other quarterbacks that, that are making more money than him. So I, I would imagine you, they would try to get a deal done before the season, but there's no, there's no rush right now. Who do you think is holding this up more, Lamar or the Ravens? I have a feeling it's probably got to be Lamar. The fact that he doesn't have, if he had an agent, I imagine the agent would be pushing for him to get a deal because then obviously the agent gets paid. But right now, Lamar is trying to maximize his value right now. So it's in his best interest to hold out, in quotes, he's obviously not actually holding out, to hold out for the most possible money. And the quarterback contracts are just going to keep going up and up. So if he waits and stays healthy, he's 
that, that barometer is only that that bar is only going to get raised every single year. If he locks him right now, he could get into like a Mahomes or a Josh Allen situation where those two guys signed contracts that were at the time incredibly lucrative, but now would you consider those to be uh, bargains just based off of what other guys are being paid? The the issue that Lamar is going to run into, as I mentioned before, the potential injury, which any quarterback is at risk for. And two, the fact that you're going to have Burrow and Justin Herbert looking for new deals very soon as well, which could play into Lamar's potential negotiations, but at the same time, that might hold everything up um, sort of on there. So my opinion is that the Ravens want to lock this down while the market is capped for at least for this year, whereas Lamar's probably just trying to look into the future and see what his value is now and what it theoretically could be do you think all this is a play for him to eventually try to get to true free agency? Because we've really never seen a quarterback of his age and his status of the league on like the legitimately open market. So do you think this is kind of what he's thinking about? Because then, I mean, all hell can break loose and he could make 10 times more than what he could make right now. Not even. I mean, I, I don't think so because, I don't know, in the past I've seen with quarterbacks that hate true free agency, they're only doing it because they think that their team that they're currently on is never going to give them the contract or they want to go somewhere else and they know they're never going to get traded. So, like, I mean, the mo- the only recent examples that you can really look at are Kirk Cousins, Peyton Manning, and Tom Brady. Peyton Manning left because the Broncos wanted to move on, or, the, sorry, the Colts wanted to move on. So that's kind of a situation that doesn't really matter. Kirk Cousins left because... Washington was never going to pay him what he felt he was worth. Brady, kind of the same thing. He wanted more roster control of the Patriots and wanted more money. The Bucks kind of offered in both of those situations. So I think if you're Lamar, the Ravens have give you the best opportunity to win. They build the entire offense around you. They are a known franchise that is consistently good. If they don't make the playoffs every year, they're pretty close every single year. So if he's just looking at money, sure, he could find a deal from another team, but I don't know if he would see the same amount of success somewhere else that he could with the Ravens. And I think the Ravens are willing to give him money. Like they know, they know the cost of a good quarterback. Um, they did it to Joe Flacco when they when they won the Super Bowl. So I, I don't see a scenario, in my opinion, where Lamar is holding out to hit free agency unless it's something that we don't know within his mind of what he thinks about the Ravens. So you think in all likelihood this deal is going to get done next year, not this year? No, I, I still think it'll be done this year. I think it'll be done before training camp. Before training camp ends, just because I, I think the Ravens want that, and I think eventually Lamar will realize that's within his best interest. I could see a scenario though where it, it, he waits a year to maximize his value. So I'm not going to be shocked if the deal doesn't get done before the season starts, because Lamar looking at last season and his value got a little bit worse because he was coming off an MVP season and they didn't play as well as a team and he's thinking, hey, if we win a Super Bowl in 2022, then I'm going to be making $50 million a year. That's a very big risk and I think at some point he's going to realize that that risk isn't, that the $10 million a year is not worth potentially losing it all with devastating injury. So my, my prediction would be before the season started this year, but I wouldn't be shocked if this gets pushed out another year. 
Now, do you think a fully guaranteed contract like Deshaun Watson is kind of what Lamar's angling for, or more so kind of like that long-term deal that Mahomes got a few years ago? That's a very good question. Um, when when he was asked at training, or sorry, minicamp a couple of weeks ago, he said that the Deshaun Watson deal isn't going to affect his mindset with negotiations, which, I mean, whether or not that's true doesn't really matter because every, every coach, GM, players, that's a quarterback, is going to look at that deal, and that's what they're going to want. Uh, I think the, the Sean Watson situation is a little bit different because I imagine that he only got that deal because it was the Browns that Hail Mary passed to get him to commit to that team versus the Falcons because at some point everyone everyone thought that, that Watson was going to go to the Falcons, and then the next day he signed with the Browns for a fully guaranteed $230 million a year unprecedented in the NFL. So I think if you're Lamar, you probably want something that's closer to a little bit more longevity. Um, and granted, a full guaranteed contract gives you that sort of long, uh, long-term uh, uh, sustainability that you want anyway just because you're guaranteed the money. But I, I could see him going for a more Mahomes-style contract just to make sure that he, he gets as much money. I'm sure the Ravens will, will try to make a team-friendly thing for both of them. Um, but Lamar's going to want to maximize it. It's probably going to want some more guarantees as well, maybe closer to like the Kyler Murray guarantee. So Mike Sando, the athletic, he had his uh, quarterback tiers when he like surveys all like these GMs, coaches, OCs, DCs, GMs, and all of that. And like the really the consensus was that Lamar was on tier two, which is really interesting, right? Because He's an MVP. Do you think that's kind of like the appropriate tier for Lamar? Do you think he's a little bit underrated? Maybe he should be a tier one guy because when you're an MVP, I mean, that means you're kind of like the best player in the league. Yeah, that that whole tier thing was very surprising for me just because I think Lamar has proven himself to be in the upper echelon of quarterbacks. The one thing that I'm looking at when, when I'm looking at all of these, these tier one quarterbacks is they're all much more of those traditional pocket passer quarterbacks like you have your your Brady's your Rodgers um your Mahomes uh and even like Josh Allen and, and Joe Joe Burrow are in there as well whereas Lamar is kind of this weird very good hybrid like you've seen really good quarterbacks that can run the ball but you never see them play at the level as Lamar does so I think if you're an executive and you're a coach you're looking at Lamar and you don't see a quarterback that you're used to being as successful so you're initially Skeptical, but if you are a fan of the NFL and you watch Lamar Jackson, you cannot deny that he's one of the, the best quarterbacks in, in the league. If not, uh, well, he's certainly, in my opinion, in the top ten. But in terms of tiers, I, I would put him above some of the other guys on that list, or at least maybe not above, but within that construct. Um, just because, like, I don't know if you can. Justin Herbert's a great quarterback. I love Justin Herbert. I think he's going to be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL for, for a while. But in my opinion, I'm not looking at Justin Herbert and thinking that Lamar Jackson is a worse quarterback than, than Justin Herbert based on after accolades alone. Their style of play is very different. Their teams are very different. And therefore, they shouldn't be compared apples to apples. But you can't tell me that Lamar Jackson should be in the same consideration as Justin Herbert and, and Joe Burrow, even though... Uh, Jackson has more accolades and has, has proven to be consistently a better quarterback statistically. 
So after this year, what do you think we'll say about Tua? <laughs> That's like the, the million dollar question, I feel like. It's, it's him and, and Jalen Hurts and everyone is kind of like, what is going to happen? I think what we're probably going to say about Tua is that he will prove himself to be a serviceable starter. I don't think he's going he's gonna to be a superstar, but I think he's going to He's going to shed a little bit of the the question marks that surrounded him last year. Now, I think too, there's a lot of unfair criticism around him. His, his rookie year, he was obviously injured and splitting time with with Ryan Patrick. So the kind of the, the way I look at it, last year was his sort of pseudo rookie season. Same with Jalen Hurts, and I think Tua's supporting cast wasn't nearly as good as it is this year. So I think by the end of the year, we'll look at Tua being like, okay, he's a good quarterback, he's a serviceable starter on a potentially playoff contending team. I'm not going to look at Tua and be like, oh, he's suddenly going to be a top five guy and he's tier one of quarterbacks. But I'm not going to, I don't think, unless something goes terribly wrong and he just falls off a cliff, I don't think Tua is going to be this this bad starter who's going to be out of Dolphins' favor by the end of the year and have them looking at, at a rookie in the draft. So then what do you think we'll say about Jalen Hurts? Honestly, probably the same thing. I think the difference between Hurts and Tua is that Hurts has that rushing style ability, um, and I think that gives him a competitive edge over Tua um, with regards to just how statistically they'll be at the end of the year. He led the NFL, or sorry, he led NFL quarterbacks in, in rushing yards and rushing touchdowns. He was deadly in, in the red zone. Um, Tua is more that traditional pocket passer who is very good uh, completion percentage, uh, very good at getting the ball out, arm strength. We'll see. Jalen, I think, has that that sort of dynamism that you want to see on certain certain offenses. So I think his team is, is a little bit better as well, just uh, supporting cast defense. So I think the Eagles will have a better year than the Dolphins, and I think that's where Jalen Hurts will get more positive uh, critiques than the year or two. But I think they'll both prove to be um, if not long-term uh, starters for their respective teams, they'll at least be able to to stick around for another couple of years and then prove that they're, they're the guy to be the future of their team. What do you think we'll say about Daniel Jones next year? <laughs> um, that's all on Brian Dable. In my opinion, the, the Giants season is going to prove if what Brian Dable did with Josh Allen in Buffalo was a fluke or if he's some sort of quarterback genius. Um, Daniel Jones proved that he at times can be a good quarterback. Uh, didn't have a good offensive line, didn't have a good defense at times. Uh, the Giants were close in a couple of games that Daniel Jones played well in, but I don't know if he's proven enough yet, and I don't know if he will do it this year to have any sort of difference. I I think Daniel Jones won't be any worse than he was over the, this past couple of years with the Giants. I don't think he's going to take a humongous step forward. The Giants just didn't do enough. They got a better, better offensive line. They got a better defense. Their playmakers should be healthy with Galladay and, and Bogley returning. So I think he'll, he'll, definitely, he'll definitely be a guy there, but I think it'll take at least another year with Dable if that's what they want to do to, to see a jump from, from Daniel Jones. 
Where do you stand with guys like Carson Lynch and Jameis Winston who were drafted really high, have had variances of success, have really good physical traits, but kind of haven't seemed to gone over that next step? Do you think those are two guys that their teams are going to be looking for next year and potentially looking for a quarterback in the draft? Do you think they're guys that can be good enough next year to where it's like, okay, this is a guy that we can keep for a few more years? I mean, their career trajectories are going to be very different. I think Jameis actually has the clearest path to a longer future in the NFL just because he showed with the Saints that he still has sort of those traits that teams were interested in when he, when he was drafted by the Buccaneers. Um, as long as he gets rid of the turnovers, I think the Saints will probably continue to keep him around because it doesn't seem like New Orleans is interested in scale rebuild they instead of tearing it down they seem to be just adding pieces and mortgaging their their future for short-term success so i think Jameis Jameis is probably going to prove again that he can stick around with the saints and he'll continue to be their starter for the next couple of years uh when i just i think between his his production on the field and his presence in the locker room i just don't see a scenario where he continues to, to Progress positive. He had that one great three quarter season in Philly, and then it kind of fell off the cliff there. He actually wasn't terrible in Indianapolis last year. There were just obvious issues with his leadership and his connection to the coaching staff and the rest of the players, and the fact that they blew that last game to the Jaguars and missed the playoffs that kind of sealed his fate there. So I think they're both heading in diverging directions, which is kind of hilarious considering where everyone thought they were going to be following their tenures uh, in their with obviously the Buccaneers for, for Janus and and uh, the Eagles for Carson Wentz so that's kind of my opinion I think Janus is trending upwards where Wentz this is sort of his last stand and if he can't make it in Washington then that's probably the end for him as a as a quality starter he may still be a starter afterwards but he might just kind of fold into the background a little bit why do you think the 2021 QB class was so underwhelming? It's a combination of uh, situational uh, situations. <laughs> and I think there's a lot of hype around that class. That you have a, quote, generational talent in, in Trevor Lawrence going to the Urban Meyer-led Jacksonville Jaguars. Even if Trevor Lawrence turned into uh, John Elway or Andrew Luck. I don't think he would have had success there that year. He could have success this year, but I think his numbers were pretty underwhelming just because of where he landed. Um, same, same goes for Zach Wilson. I think he was hyped up as this sort of uber-athletic quarterback with this, this rocket arm from a um, from not a big school out in BYU, and then he landed on a New York Jets team that didn't have a lot of clarity or weapons or they were like in year one of the rebuild so he was never going to have that success justin fields same thing there's no no real path forward a lot of hype so those three guys were sort of lauded as the, the next big thing and they just landed in, on teams that had no clear future in the beginning um but uh and then you look at guys like mac jones and he everyone no one really knew what was going to happened with him and he'd gone as early as three, but everyone was like, no, they'll probably go later. And on the most, uh, most confident team of the group of the Patriots, and I think he was able to prove that he was a much better quarterback uh, than a lot of people thought. And then Trey Lance, obviously, we won't know until this 
this year now that he's the starter. So he's the, he's the one question mark that will be most interesting. Out of all those guys, who are you most high on? For the upcoming year? Yeah. Who's a guy out of that group that you're like, you're not so sure if they're going to find success? Now, the interesting thing about what you said, and I, I do find it interesting, I think it's the way we, we view these things. You didn't mention Davis Mills, and realistically, besides Mac Jones, he played better than all those guys last year, and I would say by a pretty decent margin. Uh, but I think sometimes that's like the cast system guys fall, and it's like nobody thought much of, <laughs> of uh, Davis Mills coming into the draft, even though he played better than all those guys as bad as they played. Nobody still seems to think much of Davis Mills. Why do you think that is? I mean, I think it's, If you were to bet for any quarterback in the 2022 class to have success, who would it be? I'm sorry, one more time? If you were to bet on any of the QBs from this past draft class to have success, the Pickett's, the Malik Willis's, the Matt Corral's, who would it be? I mean, if I, I, 
I wouldn't if I didn't have to, but if I had to pick one, you have to go with Kenny Pickett. He is the, the clearest path to, to seeing the field. All he has to do is beat out Mitchell Trubisky and Mason Rudolph, which he could do as early as training camp. And in terms of, like, he has the best team of that group as well. Uh, I mean, the sneaky dark horse of Desmond Ritter just because Marcus Mariota has a pretty loose uh, hold on the starting job, and I think Desmond Ritter uh, in college was one of the more technically sound quarterbacks um, and proved to be one of the most NFL-ready guys. Um, but So I, I would have to go Kenny Pickett just based off of his... Uh, his team alone, the Desert Ritter could be a fun one if you want to take a, a really big gamble. I don't see Matt Corral seeing the field until next year at the earliest. Um, and uh, Malik Willis, I think you might be, you might see him play a little bit of like Trey Lance where they kind of, the Penguins kind of trot him out and see what he can do on some, some interesting plays. But again, he's a guy that is going to be second behind Ron Tannehill there, barring injury or Ron Tannehill just completely... So do you think Pickett's going to be able to beat out Trubisky? I mean, if he doesn't do it in training camp, then I think he will throughout the season at some point. The, the Steelers want to believe that they're competing for something uh, in 2022, but they're clearly the fourth team uh, in the division um, unless the Browns just completely implode. And so I think at some point, like Tomlin's going to look at the roster and look at the record and be like, we got to give the rookie a chance at some point, whether that's week one or week 10. Um, I think Pickett has the, the clearest path just because Mitchell Trubisky, there's a reason he's on, on his third team uh, since being drafted. And Mason Rudolph, they tried the Mason Rudolph experience during Ben Roethlisberger's time that clearly didn't work. So you might as well give the 20th overall pick a chance. In terms of Drew Locke or Geno Smith, who do you see winning that quarterback competition? That's a tough one. I think in terms of continuity, I could see Geno starting week one just because he had to play a little bit last year and it's effectively the same team um, just without Russ. So I think Geno gets the nod in week one as, as Drew Locke continues to learn the playbook throughout the offseason. Um, and if Geno continues to, to play at a competent level, I don't see why Seattle would move away from him. But if Geno plays like he's done in the past, then they, they got to take a look at Drew Locke. There was, I mean, if you remember, there was a lot of hype around Drew Locke and the Broncos a couple of years ago. Um, and apparently the Seahawks believe that that hype still exists somewhere and they just, they just have to unlock it. But I imagine teams will play it safe and just. They like to go with the guys that they know, and right now they know who Gino is. Sam Darnold or Baker Mayfield? Oh, that one, I mean, that's got to be Baker. <laughs> you, you don't, uh, I think, I think the, the, the Panthers soured on Darnold throughout last year. You don't give P.J. Walker and, and bring back Cam Newton because you think Sam Darnold just... Uh, Need some rest, even though he was injured last year. I, I think Baker will win camp, and then he'll get to start week one because they're playing the Browns week one, and the NFL loves a good, good revenge game. So uh, it'll be nice for the Panthers to have a couple of first-round guys in the quarterback room, but I think Baker proved throughout his career that he's a superior player. So if I could give you one quarterback for a game for your life, who would it be? 
shit. Let's say it's the win Super Bowl. Last second drive. Yeah, active. I'm looking at obviously three guys who have won it: Mahomes, Brady, and then you know a little while ago, I'm looking at Aaron Rodgers. If I had to pick one, I'm picking Mahomes just because I think his combination of arm strength, pocket awareness, and scrambling ability gives him gives gives me as a coach so many different options of possible scenarios. Um, Rodgers is great, but I feel like he sometimes plays to a level that can get him in trouble. And and Brady, from a clutch perspective, is obviously elite, but I think he's reaching a point where his sort of intellect isn't going to be enough. He's going to need more of that athleticism, and I think I think Mahomes offers that on a grander scale than, than Brady does. But it's it's a tough call between those three. So you would have put Allen or Herbert in that tier? Not yet, not yet. I, I think they're certainly reaching the point of uh, of getting close to that that tier. But I'm going off of uh, experience, and Josh Allen hasn't played in the Super Bowl yet. Justin Herbert, I don't think has played in the playoffs yet. So if I'm if I need to win one game, I'm picking a guy who's won one game in the past win it all. And once again, I want to thank both Tyler and Kenny for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And I want to thank all of you for tuning into this episode. The 464th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk. Georgia. Georgia.